The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Women with Balls, where I, Katie Balls, feature today's trailblazers. My guest today is the Managing Director of Daytime Television at ITV. She controls the seven and a half hours of morning flagship shows, Good Morning Britain, The Rain, This Morning and These Women. In this department, she manages over 400 people. Over lockdown, ITV's daytime viewing figures hit an 11-year high and peaked at 1.8 million in December 2020. The talent on these shows have often gone on to become celebrities in and of themselves. And with that, they have brought controversy. Household names include Holly Willoughby and Phil Schofield, along with Susanna Reid, who often clashed with co-host Piers Morgan. Morgan famously went viral last year after storming out the ITV studios after a disagreement about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Behind the scenes for all of this was my guest today, Emma Gormley. So Emma, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today and also for being here in person, which we always enjoy. And to begin, uh, we always ask, would you describe yours as a happy childhood? And if not, how would you describe it? Oh, well, very nice to be here, Katie, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I had a really happy childhood. I come from a really normal family, but really, really happy. Not Mary Poppins, but a great family and a very close family. So that's really, really important in my life. My my dad, who is now 82, you know, was the first person to buy, buy his house, which he still lives in, which is our family home. My mum was a nurse and worked for the NHS for 50 years. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us, but both really, really hardworking parents, you know, really instilled that into the three of us. I'm one of three. I have an older sister and I have a twin brother uh, who's 10 minutes older. And um, my poor mum didn't know she was having us until the day before because they weren't... I'm, I'm mature enough that there weren't scans in those days, so they didn't know I was hiding behind my brother. Oh, my God. What a surprise. Yeah, I think it was quite shocking and quite unusual in those days, sort of pre-fertility treatment and things. So I think... So as, as a twin, it was really, you know... There was, there was obviously something in the water that year because there were four sets of twins in our class. So there, there was something going on. So did you and your fellow twin have much of a sibling rivalry growing up? Did you have uh, similar interests? No, not at all. <laughs> Completely different. We've spent our lives and still do, actually. And we're really close. And my sister, the three of us are super close, actually. We speak most days, actually, on our family WhatsApp. And my brother was very sort of sciencey. He ended up doing a chemistry degree. You know, that is not my strength. And, you know, I'm in the more English arty uh, creative side. But, you know, so, so very different, not much rivalry, had very different, you know, uh, he wasn't particularly sporty, I was. And, you know, I didn't have pushy parents, but the three of us, have, it's all worked out. And I think that's really interesting. They were very, very supportive, sort of, I guess, sort of fairly, fairly liberal, but with rules. So by that, I mean, you could trash the kitchen and cook whatever you wanted but you, you, you had to clear it up. You had to do the washing up. You had to, you had to do all of that. So, you know, it was, you know, we liked to laugh a lot. My mum was Irish. Um, we had, you know, uh, well, she was very warm, very friendly, very jovial. 
so a lot of laughter in our home and not you know taking the mickey out of each other which we all still do um, now, you go on to study broadcast journalism, but you said at the time you already knew you didn't want to be on screen. Why was that? Was it just a feeling? <laughs> I think, you know, for me... It, I, feel like, I feel like doing my journalism course, most people want to be on screen. Yeah, and, and most people most people did. There were about 20 of us, I think, in on that course. It was really, you know, you had a, a day-long interview and if you made it to the end, you got a place on the course and there were like one or two people at the end of the day. So I was really thrilled to get on the course and, and get in. And again, I've still got friends from the course, but I just remember on day one, you know, we were asked by the tutor, what, what, what do you, what's your career aspiration? And everybody said, I, you know, I wanted to, uh, I'd really like to present today programme, Women's Hour. I'd like to, you know, present uh, the 10 o'clock news and then it sort of came to me and I was sort of like, oh, God, well, you know, and I, I was just like, I really want to be a researcher on this morning. And I could just see everybody going, oh, my gosh, what's she doing here? But I genuinely did. That's I loved daytime TV. I loved breakfast TV. I was already an addict at that at the age of what was I sort of 21 and watched all of those, you know, watched all of those sort of programs. So for me, I've never I've never wanted to be the, the centre of attention, actually. I'm not, I don't have that sort of gene. I'm very, very comfortable behind the camera. Even in photographs, I'm very happy behind taking the photo. Um, And I don't mean that in a humble, coy way. I just, it's not for me. And I I also sort of think I probably learned quite early on about the scrutiny you're under. And I, you know, it's really tough. You know, I don't envy anybody because it's really, really tough. You're criticised for everything, what you say, what you wear, you know, everything. So um, that's not for me. That wouldn't suit me. Now, you uh, finish your journalism master's and obviously we have limited time on this podcast, so we're going to whip through and probably do a discourtesy to some of your jobs in between. <laughs> One that struck me is obviously we know you through ITV, but you did uh, spend time working for the Anna Nick breakfast show on the BBC at the time. So how was that experience? So that was my first telly job. So I after I finished my postgrad, you're trained as a as a radio journalist. So I worked in various local radio stations. I was okay. I liked news reading. I loved the fact of going out and making packages. I mean, I still really love radio. I listen to a lot of radio. And I loved all of that sort of, you know, layering of sound and being out on your own and do and doing that. But actually my ambition and it was really good and it was really good for quite a while because it paid off my overdraft it paid off my university fees etc but it wasn't where I wanted to land I didn't want to present a radio program I didn't want to then go on to present regional news you know I wanted to I wanted to work in daytime and I wanted to work on a network program so I applied for two jobs and one of them was on Anne and Nick at the BBC which was the the daytime uh, version of this morning and then also this morning which at that time was based in Liverpool and I got the gig on as a trainee researcher on Anne and Nick which was brilliant and then a week later it's quite ironic I got an offer to work on this morning which obviously now I'm responsible for but I never actually worked on it so, so and that, on if, given that was your ambition at the start of your course were you a bit like that one should have come first yeah it was yeah but I was just so thrilled to just be in this world and you know I met amazing people and such a training ground you know working in live television 
and particularly as a trainee researcher, it can go very wrong. And I worked with brilliant people, great journalists, and, you know, just a really, really interesting experience. And also, again, like any of the programmes we do, there's so much airtime to fill. So you're always under pressure to keep coming up with ideas. It's all about our currency as ideas. So that's what we thought, you know, that's what we think about. And that's what, you know, I learned at a very, very early age. It's coming into a morning meeting with lots of ideas. It's thinking how that can translate on screen. And I still get a thrill. I still try and send sneaky ideas to the editors if I've seen something and I think this person would be good or can we do this? So um, I think they humour me sometimes. Um, just to make people on this podcast feel good about themselves, did you have any disasters <laughs> early on in your career? Because I remember doing work experience in some of these places and friends who went to you know these big TV shows and we had Katie Searle on from... Um, Obviously, and she was a researcher on the Today programme for a bit. At the time, and Rod Little, <laughs> say was an, an editor, and I think they had ups, but also downs. So I was wondering, was any day when you kind of suggest an idea and it turns out you've misunderstood something? Or Oh, my gosh. I think, you know, what you learn at that level is, I mean, you it's just, it's so painful. So if you work on one of those shows, you work in a, on a day team. If you're the trainee researcher, you're, you know, you're always probably working at a higher level and just basics you don't you don't know because you don't know you may not have taken somebody to sound they might not be mic'd they're sitting in front of the talent they're they're wearing uh, you know something really stroby because you don't know the rules that herringbone doesn't look right on screen you're I mean I mean god so many it's and and that's in, in all honesty that's what obviously you have producers that that capture that but you know that's sort of sort of part of the fun that you don't you actually you you don't know but you learn all of it and you learn by really hard mistakes by not booking the car at the right time and and actually then sort of paying the price for that either on air or off air afterwards in the debrief so oh my god loads of things loads of things now you then moved to gmtv how has the move from bbc to gmtv and obviously a different bracket so i again you know what i said earlier i loved breakfast television and gmtv was this you know tabloid breakfast program it was riding high i kind of actually feel i sort of blagged the job i they asked me what i wanted to do when i you know when i went for the interview and i said i really want to be I want to work in your entertainment department. I know so much about showbiz. And I was sort of thinking, God, well, I don't actually know if I do. I've kind of read hello today, but I'm not really sure. Anyway, I, I got, it was just such an exciting time. And, and again, to be 24, 25 and in that environment. And it was the days that, you know, you would have just the most amazing, and, and we still do. And, you know, this is why I'm still working in this this genre and this area. I just remember being in the green room one morning as a producer and there was Tony Blair and there was Pamela Anderson, you know, so the Prime Minister and the star from who was in her, her red swimming costume in the in the green room and this just kind of mix, this cocktail of just like fascinating people that I'm setting you know, making the stories and setting the agenda. It was brilliant. And did Tony Blair know where to look? He was very, <laughs> very polite. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I will always remember the expression on his face <laughs> as he walked in. Now, you, uh, one of your um, first kind of very senior jobs as editor of Lorraine. So, I suppose we'll talk through what your current job involves. But what does it, being editor of a program like that 
mean it? Are you basically on the line for any mistake or is it what time do you have to get up? If something goes wrong, do you get the call? As an editor of the of a show like Lorraine, you are, of course, it's the show is your responsibility. You have somebody like me that's that's over you and you refer to. You, you know, it's your show. It's your team. So you're doing these jobs are, it's not just creating the show, looking at the ideas. All of the editors, all of the editors I work with, are amazing and the skill set they have so you are getting up at the crack of sparrows um I mean I'm sure we'll talk about that later but at that time as the editor of Lorraine I my alarm went off at 4 45 sometimes I would stretch it to five and if you get up at that time of morning you will empathize and know that that 15 minutes is everything to, to get up later at the time I had two daughters under I think they were under two and a half so it was it was, you know, I look back and think, oh my gosh, I don't think I could do that now. But so as the editor, you're coming up with ideas, you're looking after the on-screen talent, you're making sure that, that making sure that the show rates, you're all the time, just like you go in, you wake up, you're listening to the bulletins, you're seeing what's happened overnight, you're seeing if you need to move a running order, you're going in and, and briefing the, or saying to the team and then briefing uh, the on-screen talent, what the stories are and what we're doing and why we're doing it, you know. And I always think the responsibility that somebody like me or one of the editors or any of us working in daytime is, all of our on-screen faces and talent, they trust their careers on us. So we have to be, you know, I take that really seriously So and always have. And, you know, they are the people that are sitting there reading what we're writing or reading from our briefing notes, etc. So... In that role, you're responsible for everything and the good and the bad and when things go wrong or uh, the recruitment of, of great people behind the scenes, all of it. It's your, it's, your, it's your responsibility. And in that process, do you end up forming a close bond with the lead presenter? So in that case, Lorraine, because you, you are so codependent on each other in a way, you know, if one fails, the other does. Yeah, you really have to. With all of our on-screen talent, it's about trust. So you have to really gain the trust of everybody on screen. And that doesn't always come, you know, on the first morning, the first week, the first month, the first year. And rightfully so. It's about, it is on screen talent. Somebody like Lorraine is amazing. She's been on screen for for decades, is brilliant at her job, has seen many people like me come and go. And, and actually, I think all of our on screen talent have a right to go in slowly and not not gush and not you have to know that people have to start trusting you and that takes a while on a live show it takes a while you have to earn your stripes now in 2015 you became managing director of daytime tv at itv what was that moment like were you expecting to get it did you have to go for the job yes i had to go for the job i felt really you know sometimes you go for interviews and you sometimes think about jobs it was literally my dream job i mean to to run all of those shows, to have... I knew what we needed to do. And at the time, there was a different breakfast show on air. GMB hadn't launched. The shows were in, you know, varying degrees. It's always... I describe it like sort of... It's like spinning four plates. You know, they're all very different. I was very clear what needed to happen. And, you know, sometimes you you have an interview and you just sort of think, I just couldn't have done, I couldn't have done better. And it was one of those moments. I've had many interviews where I've done really badly and obviously haven't got the job. Um, but I felt really passionate. I felt very clear about what we were going to do and what we needed to do and the difficulties further up the road and what we need, what we needed to transform. 
and thankfully the the people the women at the time that um, employed me gave me that opportunity and for listeners talk us through an average day in this role so my role as MD of daytime is ultimately I'm responsible for those seven and a half hours of live television each day, Monday to Friday. So that is, on the grand scheme of life, it's, all, it's almost like running a very, very big indie. You know, having those four shows, which are juggernauts, are always in the press scrutiny, have, I think, A-lister talent across them. And, you know, it's a very, very large department. There are about 500 of us in it. So the role is is everything. So ultimately, I'm responsible for those four shows. I look after the talent. So as in, I ensure they're all happy. I look at what they're doing, thinking about what we can do. You know, I have to have a long-term vision. I talk to the editors each day. I look at what every night I'm looking at the rundowns, what we're doing on the shows each day. I'm making sure that we're all happy, that uh, we've done the right checks or that this is going to work or all of those kind of calls. Of course, thrown into that is breaking news. And of course, that doesn't ever, uh, you can't say that happens between nine and five each day in a nice, neat package. So one of my roles is if there's a massive news story, I do get calls at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. So examples of that. So the phone's never on silent? No, no, the phone's permanently beside my bed, both phones actually, the landline and and my mobile. And very popular in your household. It's very, yeah, actually I had to move the landline actually because my husband was being woken up a bit um, at one time. Have you tried the thing where it's only a ringtone of certain people call you? No, because you never, never know, know. Okay. you never know. You never know who's going to call you. So, And, of course, we work at, at different times. There's different shifts, there's different people. So, no, that ain't going to work. So, And, actually, probably only on a Friday night, I don't... Sometimes Saturday, I don't have my phone beside my bed. I think that's kind of... That feels like a good Friday night vibe. But, uh, generally, it's on all the time. And the, the really serious incidents that have happened when I have been called are, for example, Grenfell... I got a call at probably about 2.30 in the morning from the editor of GMB to say it was happening. And of course, something such an enormous news story and a breaking news story in our airtime, you have to then look at what we're going to do for the rest of the morning and the impact on the rest of the shows. And also, of course, just the, the really obvious things, you know, are our people safe at that location? Who's there? What, what are we doing? How are we going to do it? So... Stories like Grenfell, the Ariana Grande concert in Manchester, all of those really tragic, awful, you know, big breaking news stories, then I get woken up for those. And and thankfully we haven't, I mean, we've had long running other news stories in the last two years, but thankfully not those kind of stories. And during the pandemic, there was a boycott by Downing Street and actually quite soon after (laughs) the 2019 election too, I think Downing Street were being quite picky over where certain ministers would go and who they'd speak to. You were critical of uh, the idea of a boycott. How do you perceive the way that, I suppose, number 10, but more broadly, political parties kind of prioritise where their ministers go? It feels as though there's always, obviously, that morning round, which is pretty straight political. Um, you, so you have the Today programme, you will ultimately have, um, you know, sometimes Times radios on that. But do you think they're diverse enough on where they put people? I think our viewers, I don't know why 
when folk were doing the rounds, when politicians were doing the rounds, they didn't feel it was appropriate to come and talk to our viewers, if I'm honest. So, of course, we would always find that insulting and we would always want to have all of those people at the heart of the story being able to be challenged by our on-screen talent. So, and I still believe that. I still think that we, and, you know, the good news is we do have government ministers now do come on Good Morning Britain and across other shows. But at that time, it was such a critical time for the country and we all, and me very much so, just bemused that that didn't happen and why wouldn't people speak to our viewers? So I'll leave it at that, but I, that's we strongly believe that and we, you know, we, there isn't a day goes by where we don't invite the Prime Minister onto our, to, onto our shows and we would love him to come on. Um, I'd quite like to the Prime Minister on Loose Women. That would be really interesting. We'd love him on Loose Women too. And um, yeah, he should come on. He's he's obviously come on to this morning and feels quite at home there. But Lorraine, Loose Women, Good Morning Britain. He's welcome any day, at any time. I just, the final thing on that, I, I do just find it interesting because I... I sometimes think that you can, if you're covering politics from inside Westminster, become a little bit focused on probably the audience that you think is the most influential in terms of the terms of debate. When actually a lot of the people you need to be speaking to in terms of your voter base are watching programmes that are later in the morning, some of them which are on ITV and are not on that Today programme Newsnight cycle. Yeah, I mean, it's all about demographics, isn't it? So I predominantly, across our seven and a half hours and across all the shows you know audience is predominantly women and why wouldn't you speak to our audience and that demographic and people that have that voice and are that age so yeah I'm I'm as I said bemused that that doesn't happen you know we are a, a tabloid audience I guess and our audience is predominantly women and you know particularly during those COVID months, weeks, now into years, that's a critical audience to meet uh, and to talk to and to discuss health with. And I would imagine if you've got key messaging, that's that's what you want to do. So, yes, we would still, the invites are still there. And um, now just a few final questions for me. One of which is one of the reasons when we're talking about why I think number 10 were quite reluctant to send ministers, for example, in Good Morning Britain, is Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan is no longer on Good Morning Britain. And that came about not because of any political boycott, um, but a row over Good Morning Britain's coverage of Meghan Markle, a comment uh, Piers Morgan made about not believing um, something she said, which then led to, I'm sure actually most people have seen the clips, but, you know, uh, on-air row, and then afterwards he didn't come back. Reports at the time said you you were on set behind the scenes. I wondered, what is it like when something like that happens? And as you touched on earlier, your shows make all this news. They're you know, so in the public glare. And then you're dealing with a bit of a, you know, a media storm of your own as you work out what to do. Well, we're always, you know, I would say the shows are always very noisy. We had, and, you know, we want to be. You know, there is no... My ambition isn't to make uh, vanilla television. You want something with a strong flavour. Piers was that strong flavour for five years and we really enjoyed having him. We really enjoyed working with him. He's such a force, you know, a fantastic journalist. And in my world, there are eras of 
breakfast television we've talked about some of them earlier and uh, Piers decided to go and we are we've moved on and that was March and now we're November and I'm sure I'll always be asked about it and I think we had a really really good time with Piers and it was you know an exceptional era and we will have great eras as well to come but we're still there we're still doing a brilliant job we've still got amazing on-screen talent amazing journalists and we you know certainly from my perspective I have a really good relationship with Piers and I know he's going to be fantastic in his new role which he's announced yes so I was going to say um you're talking about new eras and how obviously the industry changes so we have a situation where I suppose News UK is launching their own uh, channel which will have Piers Morgan there's GB News which has had some bumps in the road I think it's fair to say but it's still going does this new competition in the TV sector affect you particularly I think it's obviously quite hard for a startup you know these new, new channels but does it you know factor into your plans when you're thinking about how you're going to run your shows so, I mean, the, the first thing I'd say is all of these, you know, GB News, what's happening, News Corp, you know, I think it's really great. I think it, I mean, it creates jobs in live television. It creates jobs for journalists. It creates experience for trainee researchers that become then people like me. So I think my starting point is, I think it's fantastic. My second point would be, I'm really competitive. I work with really steely competitive people. So, of course, it alters our thoughts. It keeps us, it certainly keeps us very ambitious. It keeps us thinking about what our strategy is. And also, we will never rest on our laurels. It's really, really hard to make a successful programme and it's really hard to run a successful channel. So, and particularly with where we are with SVODs and the, and the way that we're all watching television. We're watching in a completely different way. We're almost in, it's a, it's a TV revolution. So I think, I think it's brilliant there are all these jobs, but we are, we're very competitive. I scrutinise ratings. I'm looking at everything. The editors of each of the show, the senior teams, um, we're competitive with each other. So let alone with the outside world. So I think a really good thing And I would say, you know, it's just really hard and it takes a really long time. And particularly in a daytime audience, it is you either watch, you know, your own habits and to change viewers or listeners habits is really, really tough. And that's what we intend to do all the time, every day. We hear a lot about on demand, but do you find the daytime audience is still much more likely to watch things live than this Netflix model? We see more of some of these kind of other programs. Yeah, I think certainly in our world, it's what a breakfast show what you're waking up to you want to have news you want to you want to hear what's going on our viewers are doing very different things at the time of day as well so obviously for in good morning britain people are and you know it was different during covid and now it's we're all getting back we're all getting the the kids and feeding them and getting at them out the door and looking for pe kits and things so you're you're not sitting down and watching as you were so, and, and, you know, as I say, Lorraine is a bit more kind of, you, you perhaps have a bit, uh, it's a bit more me time as a woman where you can, you know, possibly, you know, hopefully sit down with a cup of coffee. And then this morning is, you know, it's two and a half hours. It's a juggernaut. We're not, we would love everybody to watch the two and a half hours and, and a lot of people do. But we also, you know, there are some segments that people really want to watch and others that they'll they'll come back to. 
And then Loose Women is a real, you know, we want that to be a real sort of laugh at lunchtime, as well as kind of just different opinions, just different female opinions. So I think in our world, in live TV, the audience is very, very much there. But I would never be complacent. It's really hard. It gets harder. It gets harder each year. And I feel really, really proud that our shows are, you know, up year on year. We're up at the highest point in a decade. So I think that's an amazing place to be. But we need to stay there. And that's what I like. No, that's my job. <laughs> now, just a final question is when we ask everyone on this podcast, which is um, what is the worst advice you've ever been given, which could have been in the course of your career or, or you know, as uh, growing up? Oh my gosh. So, ma- so many pieces of advice. <laughs> Absolute worst. Well, I think one that is just, it, it makes me laugh still. And it always, and it is, you can fix it in the edit. So when you start, when you are the trainee researcher or when you're going out on shoots and you're filming something and you, you have no idea. And in our world, you, you have to always appear quite confident, don't you, and that you know what you're doing. And, and, you know, there isn't, you're not necessarily taught how to make a film or what works and what doesn't. And you come back sometimes with a tangle of mess. And there's just a, I always just sort of think, previous more senior people above me at times said don't worry you can you can fix it in the edit you can fix it in the edit and you can't if you haven't got if you haven't got the basics if you haven't got the sound bite if you haven't got the shot you're screwed so that just always makes me laugh because you can't and you still I still hear it and I just sort of think oh gosh that shows no experience (laughs) I'm pleased to say we won't need to fix this in the edit so thank you very much for coming on today thank you